What are you doing? I'm snoring. Sorry. Why are you snoring? I was trying to entice you to go to bed. It's not healthy for you to be. What time is it now? Five, six in the morning, and still be up. Three in the morning. Three in the morning. Three in the morning. Yeah. Still be up. That's no good. I I'm always up in the middle of the night. You're an owl. You're a mystical wise owl. I want to point out that you said you weren't trying to entice me to go to bed. Yes. That's yes, some dangerous verbiage. Look, listen, this is moist. Please tell me we're not recording already. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. Listeners and welcome back. Welcome to the GMS Magazine podcast, the RPG Room. This is a podcast in which we talk everything to do with role-playing games because you know we are kind of role players. I am Paco Garcia, your host or one of them. I'm Jim. Why do you make it so long? Why do you? Why do you make the intro so long? It's not long. I've I've spent about ten seconds. But, uh, but they know what they're listening to. They chimed in. They they, they went on the internet and looked listen, for you. I am an optimist sometimes. I'm a part-time optimist. <laughs> I'm a part-time optimist, and I'm hoping that at some point we are going to get one new listener who doesn't know what we're talking about. And that person needs to know that we talk about RPGs. Because the title might not be enough. Okay. That didn't convince you, did it? No, no. It's also three o'clock in the morning here, and I'm trying to not be so loud because I don't want to wake my neighbors. Oh, Jesus! How thin are your walls? They're not thin at all. I'm. I have a house, not an apartment. Oh well, then you can so scream, but then a, you will wake up. There's a gap between here and there. Okay, but if you wake up your wife, you'll be in trouble. So don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poor thing. Anyway, today we are going to be talking. It's a, this is a topic that we have covered in the past. And I know it's been covered many, 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 many times in the past by many other lesser podcasts. And But we are going to talk about it because we can. And we are going to talk about how to be a good GM because Christmas approaches or Hanukkah or whatever, I don't care. Uh, the season, holiday season approaches. And this is the time to be a good person. So now let's be a good GM. So. It's how to be, so you don't have to say, I don't even know how we're going to do this and tie it into Christmas. I don't even get it. No, me neither. The, I don't care. The holidays. <laughs> the holidays. Got to be careful there. I can't yeah. say Christmas. Oh, say I can't holidays. say Christmas. Christmas, 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 Christmas. And I don't celebrate Christmas, by the way. I don't even, I don't even celebrate. I don't fucking do anything on that day. I go on a road trip mm -hmm. because the roads are empty. That's what I do with December 25th. I do not care at all about this holiday. Well, I, because I am not a Christian, I don't celebrate Christmas. Um, if I celebrated Christmas, then I would celebrate Yuletide, because at the end of the day, that's where Christmas originates from, because Christmas is just another Christian bullshit. That we just lost really, a listener. Yeah, we no. just lost Sorry, another listener. Bugger. Uh, but that's fine, but we want a pagan, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure there's a pagan. We want a pagan over great. Exactly. Awesome. So anyway, I don't celebrate it because it, it just doesn't bother me. But that's not true because I do celebrate it because I, I like having my friends around and, you know, cooking and, and giving presents and receiving them and, and just having a nice time all, all over. And quite frankly, if I didn't celebrate anything and I saw everybody celebrated something, I would feel jealous. So I celebrate something because I can. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess. Yes. You don't care, do you? <laughs> I, I will point out that I really like buying gifts for people. I do like getting people something that I that's personalized or something I think they would like. That process for me is fun, but I hate the formality of the holiday season. Okay, fair enough. So anyway. I didn't do anything for Thanksgiving either. So anyway, I don't I don't want anything. That's fine. I don't celebrate Thanksgiving. That means Thanksgiving is something that means absolutely nothing to me. I don't even know what's all about. So I don't care. It's all about so killing, let's talk, killing let's turkeys. So let's talk for five minutes about doing something nice for your game master, and okay. then we can talk about being a good game master for your players. Okay. So since it's a holiday season, I think players should show up with an open mind, and they should stop being so selfish and make the game just about them. They should make things easier on their GM and not argue. Give him or her one day of respite from the arguing. That's the gift you can give. Well, I since I am somebody who hardly ever argues with my GM because I am, you know, quite polite sometimes. <laughs> I think the present that I would give my GM is to make sure that I have not forgotten my dice, my pencil and my pad. Because I think it's very irritating when you get to your gaming table and say, oh, bloody hell, I forgot my dice. Or can I borrow a pencil and paper? Yeah. You know, basic yeah, things. forgetting the character sheet is almost unforgivable. Well, if I forget the character sheet, I don't play that night. You know, yeah. that's, that, that's why. Um, I, we do this thing where you keep the, your character sheet with the GM. Yes, so exactly. There's so, no way that it gets lost. So, so do we. Otherwise, it's, it can be a mess. Or, or keep it online somewhere that you can access it in the middle of the of the table. I don't think that I've ever read that in a role-playing book anywhere either, that kind of advice. Leave your sheet with the GM. But everybody knows to do it. But you know what thing? I uh, This is something that was pointed out to me. I mean, this is a bit of a, of a tangent, so let's not dwell on it too long. But this is something that um, Christopher Helton mentioned in Facebook the other day. Uh, upon looking at it, He's absolutely right. Barely any RPG spends enough time giving advice to the GM about how to run and how to play the game. Not necessarily yeah. how to run, but how to play it. And the gamers, how to play, you know, about uh, social etiquette. What was the etiquette around the table? What, what should you get ready before uh, the game starts? And what should you do after? You know, that sort of thing. Barely any book touches on that. And it's a shame. I think that that should be discussed. Here's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. I agree with everything you said, but here's I'm going to play devil's advocate now. Here's an interesting take on this. Any other hobby out there, there's no book of etiquette before you join an RC motorcycle club um, or, or, or RC car club or you know you play pool with people there's no books of etiquette on how to behave you just learn these processes through doing it being around people and you get ostracized enough for being a douche you change your behavior and that's something that everybody learns in just about every walk of life and i don't know what it is about gaming that we feel the need to have all this advice written into books on how to behave whether it's in the book or not people are always saying we need more advice like this. Well, I can give uh, a few explanations to that. Um, firstly, because I think it doesn't matter what other club you join. I mean, I, I've been uh, a book club and I have been into photography clubs. And it doesn't matter which one of the two was. If I didn't have a camera with me, I just could not participate. 
that 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 was it. Of course, I I could go to the exhibitions and uh, the competitions and stuff, uh, and and watch, and that would be the end of it. And it was perfectly acceptable to just sit down and watch. It's fine. If you're in a in a car club, exactly the same. If you go on a pier without your car, then you just sit down and watch, and it is expected that that's all you're gonna do, and that's okay. However. If you turn to a, an RPG or a game without your character sheet or your dice, you are not just going to say, well, you sit down there and watch. Because that looks absolutely terrible. And let's face it, to find a spare pencil or dice is a lot easier than, than finding a spare car or a camera. So I, I can understand to some degree that people say, oh, come on, let's make an effort so this guy can participate. But there is an, a, a stigma about, no, you don't sit around the table and watch. I used to go to this game convention in L.A., and in the early days of the con, there were about 14 to 20 pages dedicated to how to behave at the con, what games to bring, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I just found it overwhelming, and to this day, there's still quite a few pages. It's not that long, but there's a bunch of pages in that book telling you if you want to play a board game, you need to bring it because you're not guaranteed to find it here. And something as simple as that, I can't fathom why you would need to be told that. And yet I see people show up all the time and say, can I borrow your copy of this? Because I want to play it and I didn't think to bring it. Well, you know, I like the, the idea, actually, because I, in a, in a, especially in a convention, people may go out of curiosity. You know, I've, I've gone many times to conventions on other things, you know, um, I don't know, uh, paganism or uh, comic books or whatever. Out of morbid curiosity, I just want to know what's going on there. And never brought anything with me. But in a games convention, if somebody's telling you bring a game, they are setting a precedent, saying you you have to be ready to play a game here if you're gonna if you're gonna come. Don't, don't, if you're gonna come to watch, then that's fine. But you are very very unlikely to to actually enjoy yourself. Now, if um, you're not told any of that, you could also turn up at that convention and find that there is nothing for you to do because you didn't bring a game with you. So in that particular instance, that particular case, I, I like it. I like the idea. It also had a section on don't show up in a Nazi costume. Uh, well, codes of conduct <laughs> are becoming increasingly important, I have yeah, to say, and I yeah. am a full, full supporter of that. Uh, I think there are way too many assholes um, around, and uh, quite frankly, I think codes of conduct are becoming a necessity. Yeah, I just I wonder how many people read those sections of books before they go to a show or they read the codes of conduct before they go to the show. I, I know that there's conventions that have an atmosphere that you know you're not welcome there mm-hmm. if you're an asshole or you're not welcome there if you're not an asshole because there's all kinds of asshole conventions too. Um, Dragonflight up here comes to mind. I won't miss an opportunity to badmouth that piece of shit convention. <laughs> Dragonflight's the worst thing I've ever been to. Um, it's not for assholes. It's just for irresponsible people and oh. lack of organization. Okay. Um, right. So I won't – I it really was not on point what we were saying. I just didn't want to miss a chance to make fun of it. Also, Shadowrun sucks. Uh, yes, um, what's that? Yeah, yeah, I guess it does. <laughs> but um, I, I think that – I think there's something to be said for these environments where you just know that you're welcome and it's safe or you know it's welcome and it's people that are going to like the same thing as you. I think the bigger the geek environment gets, the bigger these conventions get, the more important these codes of conduct become Mm. 
yet you can't expect everybody's going to read it either before they get there. No, I don't think it can be. But the point is not whether people are going to read it or not. It is whether people, uh, whether the convention can say, we told you how to do it. You don't have any kind of justification. You cannot claim ignorance. And we are trying our best to actually make people feel safer and more comfortable. The... the, um, Code of contact is not necessarily just for people to read, but also to for to to send the message to people who may feel unsafe that the com- the convention is is behind you and they will do their best to protect you. That's why I feel they're so important because they they enable people to feel safe, not just provide safety. So that for me it, it makes quite quite a difference. There's a convention in the Portland area up here that has a big giant banner when you walk in telling you all of that. That it's very important to them that they that they create an environment where people feel safe, mm. and I think that's great. Um, but I actually had a misunderstanding with somebody there one year, um, and I've never really been able to repair the relationship with this person, which is funny because I'm really nice in person at conventions when I want to game with people. So this it's just one another one of those situations where somebody thinks the worst of you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Your first impression has ruined them. Yeah, but it's because the environment of that convention is so hypersensitive to anything Mm. that can be misinterpreted. It was, of course, misinterpreted. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Where where are we meant to be talking about how to, you know, big good GMs or something? Yeah, yeah. I thought that's what we were going to talk about. I think we've been talking about 15 minutes. We talked, yeah, we talked for a long time before (laughs) we even started recording about nonsense. So. (laughs) <laughs> Who knows when we'll actually get on the road. So anyway, um, how to be uh, good to your GM, we, we've already covered. And how to be a good GM. Now, in what sort of game are we talking about? Yeah, that's that's kind of the difficult part, right? Because there's so many different ways to role play now. I think in the past when you were just adventure gaming, you just sat and waited your turn and you didn't interrupt the GM. But in the modern age now with story games and with with game in them, um, the game master really needs to take a back seat and shut up while the players do their thing. And I think learning that, learning how to do that is one of the, the key things game masters can be doing. There's so many, we talked about this and I can't name them, but there's so many bad GM advice books out there that have said precedence and taught people really bad behavior that is going to take years to undo um, and I th- I think that there is something to be said for game masters sitting down and listening instead of game masters showing up to lecture and teach and dominate the table uh, so I think that's the number one gift you can give yes I think one piece of advice that everybody thought was great at the beginning and now I, I, I really dislike it is when people say that the master, that the GM has the final word on anything and everything that happens. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that, absolutely terrible. Really that's terrible. That's archaic. That is so archaic. That's fine if you're playing a, a, a board role-playing game. Right. You know, when, where the rules are so uh, set that it's, it's impossible to actually do anything else uh, with it. Uh, but otherwise, no, your GM should not have the final word unless is an extreme case, really, really extreme case. Otherwise, your players should have uh, the final word. 
the the problem is is the game master has a lot of jobs. The game master just doesn't have one job. A lot of jobs to do, and one of those jobs is to administrate and make sure that everything is going smoothly, or solving problems, or being the gatekeeper or peacemaker between people. And I think sometimes the game master has to bring down the hammer when two players aren't getting along or somebody's arguing too long. Mm. Um, and I think that that sort of that sort of violation of the rule of the GM shouldn't be the 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 veto uh, of everything or the 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 only authority. I think that's an instance where the game master needs to, and that's all intuitive right you just need to know when it's time to step in and tell people to stop or take a five minute break or just shut the fuck up i think knowing when to do that is an invaluable skill but that takes a long time to master yes it does and the thing is it it takes it takes some teaching i think the problem is that for, for that kind of people there isn't really any really good advice and people let's face it they they learn to gm as they go along you know there no there, there is no gm in school and yeah following a book doesn't always give you everything that, right. that you need so i can understand that the first easiest approach is you know nip it in the book well let, let's go back to the to the to the source then let's go back to the beginning let's pretend that somebody is listening for the first time and they've never gm'd in their lives I think the very first thing that you need to learn as a game master, it is your job to let the players spotlight. I think that is the number one most important thing that you can do if you're running an adventure game. And I'll use, I don't like the show, uh, Strange Things or Stranger Things. Is that mm-hmm. what it was called? Yeah, Stranger Things. With the kids playing D&D. What worked so well about those D&D sessions when they were playing in the, in the, in the TV show was that that kid, even at his age, knew how to make the other players shine he knew how to give everybody else their moment to make decisions and the way modern adventures are written they don't handle that well because they're written for generic group and your group isn't generic your group is your group and you want to tailor it and play the way everybody wants to play and so you should be presenting all of the players with unique problems to solve and or unique dramatic moments where they get to spotlight and it doesn't matter what level anybody is. If they all get a moment to shine, that matters. Robin can be just as important as Superman. Bad analogy, but okay. Yeah, I've always said that because <laughs> Robin and Superman are both annoying. Yeah. Um, and I hate DC. I don't even know I would use them as example, but. Um, okay. So. What yeah, I think that as as a game master to wrap up the present that is that that little rant your number one goal job is to give everybody an opportunity to to do something and matter and if you if you're doing this for the first time or you want to unlearn and relearn everything that's what you should make your next session about but the thing is um i i i will go i will go with that now playing some something i like doing i'm gonna play devil's advocate how would somebody who doesn't know how to do it learn how to do it I, th- I think that's 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 the kind of advice that i would like people to take from here how does a gm learn what are the signs of learning 
Oh, well, listening is more important than talking, right? That's how you, you learn is you pay attention, you observe, and you apply. I think if you're doing all the talking and you're not giving anybody else an opportunity to be involved, what are you learning? You're just grandstanding. And I think if you're a narcissist, you're not going to learn anything from what we're talking about today. Of course. But if you hear that something is not particularly working, well, firstly, you need to identify that it's not working. Uh, and yes, you can identify that a, a game is not working when your players are not having fun and they tell you that. Right. Um, however, but you need to be able to read the room too, right? I mean, that's a basic human skill. I've, yeah. I've run games before where... I'll just start improving as the game master and I'll say something and I, the players will go, <gasps> they'll get excited. And then I'll do the stupid thing of doubling down and making the next thing that comes out of my mouth even bigger than that. And now I've just, not only are they, Oh, now it's incredulous. I've ruined the thing that they just made cool because I keep trying to gonzo it up. So I think you need to be able to read the room, sense the, the tone at the table and know when to shut the fuck up and say, Oh, I already got them gasping. Now I'll just leave a dot, dot, dot here and let them fill in some blanks. Okay, but how did you learn to do that? Because I bet you anything that the first times that you played RPGs, you weren't able to because you just didn't even think about it. No one does. Right. So how trial did you learn Trial and error, it, right? It's all trial and error. That's how you learn how to do anything. But this is an art form, not a, not a craft. It's not a science. And so it's some people are going to learn it faster than others. Some people are just going to be better at it than others. Some people are never going to get good at it because they're obsessed with spreadsheets and keeping track of every iron coin that somebody has. I, I think what you obsess about is what is going to lead to the types of stories that you tell. If you only give a shit about five-foot movement rates and the terrain type that you're walking on, then you need to run those kind of board game role-playing sessions or a war that we game. were just talking about. Or, what was or, that? Or a war game. Or a war game, right, yeah. I think people get attracted to role-playing games. And we could probably do a, an episode about how the, even the term role-playing game doesn't mean anything anymore um, in the hobby because it's been abused by so many bad companies that don't actually make role-playing games. They make war games. But I think if you're in the hobby for competition and to win mm -hmm. you you've fallen into the wrong hobby because that's not really what role-playing should be so the gift the second gift you give your players is stop trying to win because but, it's not about you no but you know and this is something that uh, i can again i can understand happening based on an experience that i had yesterday i have never played with children before ever because i i don't have the patience and, and yet yesterday i found myself playing with children uh, with a game that's meant to be for children and is not. So after a while, the one thing that I realized, and maybe this is because the, the children had it ingrained in themselves, is that they were actually trying to win the game. It didn't matter that it was a role-playing game in which they were playing, one of them was a, a pony unicorn, the other one was a fawn, and the other one was a cat girl. You know, they they were trying to win the game. Right. And right. I had to steer and change my GMing style a little bit away from the story and more into the what do I do to give these children the feeling that they are actually winning. Right. So they are have they, they can have a good time. Because they, they Right. And yeah, you have to accommodate I ran uh, my buddy uh, Derek showed up for one of my games at a convention once. I was playtesting City of Masks. And he brought his niece with him. And she's 12. 
So the game is way over her head. So I gave her the violent character so she'd have something to do so she could play an action role. And when it was clear that she was sitting there being bored, that's when I created something in the story for her character to go chase down, find this criminal, interrogate him, beat him up, that kind of thing. So that she had her moment and I was tailoring the experience to her. And here I am playing with all my friends who know me quite well to not really run those kind of games. And I got a lot of comments after the game was, holy shit, I cannot believe that you were able to not only accommodate her, but you played completely out of your your type for those moments just so she had something to do. And I think you have to do that. I think you have to break out of your rigidity if you want to tailor a game to the people at the table instead of running them through. Yes. And, and you know, this is another and advice that I would give um, GMs out there. And it, and it is the same thing that I say to authors when they put a game out there. The game is not yours and it is not about you. Right. It's your players and it's about yep. them. Yep. So if you have to change your game to actually fit and suit your player's style, so be it. If players want an adventure and you have planned uh, an investigation adventure, but what they want is to actually, because the mood that night might be, you know, um, to slap somebody in the face and, and, and kill a few things, go with it. Just change it. Uh, improvise, which I understand is not an easy thing to do for everyone, but right. that's that's what it is. Get over it. I had a conversation with a friend, and I can't say who, because he was confiding in me, but uh, he's a recent new publisher to the industry, and... Uh, he told me a story about something that had happened with a game he'd published. And I said, I'm going to tell you a little secret about the gaming industry that not a lot of people want to admit. And the thing is, is that I, as a publisher of a game, am completely and utterly powerless to control the 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 method in which my game is delivered to people. So if there's a bad GM out there running one of my games people walk away with the experience that my game sucks, not that game master sucks. And so all publishers in the hobby are held hostage by the quality of the game masters that are attracted to their games. Mm -hmm. And so your game lives and dies by who picks it up and teaches it to other people. And that's, that is something that, people don't really want to talk about in this hobby people that publish games so they so one of the reasons you see a lot of safe games just another fantasy game come out because everybody knows that there's D&D game masters out there that want to run games run new games so they just make something that looks like D&D because that's easiest yes they, they don't run a risk of people not understanding the product yeah yeah i i can i can see that i can i can definitely definitely agree um agree with that which is which is a pity and it goes back into the what i was mentioning earlier that i don't think there is enough advice on how to run the game and i think the more different your game is the more advice you have to give yeah. on how to play it and, and how to organize the, the, the game and the activities around it when i was at asshat we released a role-playing game without a gym game master section at all wow yeah, and I said it. I, I said it. This is going to press. There's no game master section in here, and nobody had even thought to write one. And I just thought, what the fuck are you people even doing in the gaming hobby yeah. if you can't consider for a second 
and I, I didn't write on the book. I just was, I, I was working on other things when this game went out, but I ended up having to come in at the last minute and do graphics for it. And I got to the last chapter and I said, where the, where's the advice on how to run this? Where's any information on how to run this? Oh, no, no, they, they don't need Awful it. book from beginning to end. Awful book. One of the worst ones the company ever put out. Okay, well, you have to tell me which one when we finish recording. I'm, I'm yeah, curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious. So um, one thing that also makes a good GM is the, for me at least, the ability to let it happen. Just don't, yes. don't, don't fight it. Just, just let it happen. You know, if, yes. if, if your players want to do something that's completely different to, you know, uh, let, let it happen. No, don't, don't worry too much about it. You know, one of one of my players yesterday, um, again, he was a child and he was, I think he was eight years old or something like that, quite young. And he was scared of the witch. So to try and uh, get away from the witch, he said, well, I'm, I'm going to turn into a pear. <laughs> Which was, okay, now that I did not expect that at all. Right, uh, right. So in, instead of saying to him, well, no, you can't. I just, you just let it happen. So, okay, how are you going to do that? Oh, um, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to take a potion that I took with me before I left town. I, I left town. <laughs> okay, fine. You take it and you turn into a pear. You are a pear on the ground. What are you going to do now? <laughs> right. Oh, right. um, well, uh, I'm just going to stay here. Fine. Okay, you stay there. Shape shifts into a pear. Yes. I don't know why he chose a pear. He could have right. chosen an orange or anything, but no, he thought a pear would be a good idea. Anyway, about five minutes later, the kid got bored because obviously he was a pear. He wasn't able to do anything uh, right. while the rest were fighting this, uh, this witch. And he said, well, can I change back into a human? So, well, how are you going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. How are you going to do that? Um, and, and, and he said, oh, um, can I take another potion? You have no arms. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, your pony friend sees you that you're a pair and, uh, you know, he hears your voice. And then he came back into a human and then he joined the battle because he realized that risking dying was a lot more interesting than being a pair. Right. Um, so, no, so I just... Let it happen. It doesn't matter. Well, the worst that could happen is that somebody will regret the decision uh, and, and want to come back. That, that's not going to ruin the game for anybody other than the person who makes the wrong decision. And, you know, they will learn from that. I think the most valuable lesson that a game master can learn in the, the context of what you're talking about is that the answer is never no. Hmm. It, the answer is always, if it's no, it's no and or it's yes, but exactly. no, but, or yes. And I'm sorry, I, I mixed that up. It's always, uh, uh, there's always some conditional that you add to a yes or no answer. You never just say yes or no, because that's uninteresting. Yes. Uh, there should, and this is, this is one of the side effects that I've included in my game carcass is that all successes still have some other thing associated with them because killing the dragon in one blow is boring killing the dragon in one blow and all of its acid spews out and burns off everybody's hair and skin is a fantastic ending that you're going to remember. 
Um, and that one actually happened in a game once. A player jumped down a dragon's throat and killed it from the inside, but it was an acid-breathing dragon, so yada, yada, yada. Um, but that was a much more interesting ending because he didn't just flat-out kill the dragon. Something else happened as a result. And so there should always be some sort of writer to the answer of yes or no. You can't just... It's not your job as a game master to block everything that they want to do. No. No, in fact, and, it is your job not to block everything they want to do. Right. It's your job to enhance or, or to funnel it. I can see you wanting to funnel it because you want to you don't want to control necessarily, but you want to at least adhere to the tone or the themes that you're presenting in the game. That kid turning into a pear, by the way, is hilarious. But if it was in a desert somewhere and or on an alien planet, that gets weird because it doesn't seem to be tonally or thematically appropriate. But if you're playing in a fantasy game, you're fighting a witch, turning into a pear or an apple. It's kind of funny. Yeah, and, and they're children. You know, literally, yeah, we were exactly. talking, you know, five to eight-year-olds. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Let you, them do whatever you, they want. Yeah, you can't say no to them. Come on, yeah. and they, they, would, they would cry, and then they would laugh, and uh, <laughs> make me look bad. I think one of the things that's important, too, to understand is that depending on the age group that you're playing with, a lot of people are still developing their ideas and boundaries of what the world is you can't put a five or an eight-year-old in a world where they can do anything that they want because that is so foreign to how they've been raised so far in their mm. life they have so many rules around them you can give them a lot of rope but you can't give them all of the rope in the world so there have to be some boundaries established at the beginning of just what it is that you're doing but the, I think the older people get, the more they want that freedom to kill any, anything and everything, especially when they become teenagers, because now you're rebelling against the rules and you just want to run around and kill stuff, which is probably why Shadowrun exists. Yes. Also, one thing to, to remember is that not everybody's conception or idea or fantasy or science fiction or whatever is going to be the same. And that will be right. shaped on you know, what they have read, what they have seen, or simply what they have imagined. You know, if somebody, the only fantasy they have read is the uh, Brothers Grimm's Tales, they're going to have a completely different idea of what fantasy is if compared to somebody who's read Tolkien or, um, I, I don't know, um, Conan books. Right. So right. That, that also has to be taken into account that not everybody's idea of fantasy is, is the same. And, and that's... Or, or science fiction, for the matter. You know, still plenty of people out there who think that Star Wars is science fiction. It bloody isn't. <laughs> we should do a whole episode. I already did a blog about this, about how Star Wars is science fiction, and just, yet it somehow is. Um, it here's to the next thing I want to say: the game masters need to learn how much information they 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 spew to players. Players are likely to only remember the first and last thing that you tell them. So when you bury them with you know, a thousand word intro to an adventure, that's just too much. Hmm. Um, and you need to find a way to pepper that information into the story as you go rather than all at once. The flashback tool is an amazing tool that not enough D&D players know how to use because they're so used to these linear stories that get told. But doing starting a game in media res and then flashing back to how they got there, that's a fantastic way to play D&D, in my opinion. Yeah. I wouldn't do it every single time, but if you did that at the convention, players would go nuts. Definitely. Definitely, yes. Okay, what other advice do we have for 
to be or not to be a good GM? Um, I don't know. I mean, you're not there to abuse people, so stop abusing characters just to abuse them. Have a good reason why you cut off a character's hand if you're going to do – if you're the kind of game master that runs around doing that to players, have a good reason why it happens. I, I, yeah, A, that, and B, have a good backup plan for what the characters are going to do with that character, what, yeah. what players are going to do with that character. Because I think the, the idea – and I have done this in the past – way too many times that just because your character has lost a limb that's it it's gone right you know they should be able to to continue and be perfectly capable characters and i think that would make them even cooler you know uh running running a fighter who's who's lost a hand or, yeah. or a leg or a, or, a, or an ear or something i think that would be amazing can you imagine playing a DD game with a wizard who only has a hand uh, had to learn to do all the somatic components with one hand instead of two Right, right, exactly. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's a great affectation. And if you can look at these as affectations rather than as liabilities, mm -hmm. right? If you look at your character having one eye as an affectation rather than a, a liability, it becomes something to build your role play around. And now I people are going to run out there and they're going to start self-mutilating all their characters just <laughs> to see how many things. That's not what I'm saying. Every character should have three affectations about them and not all of them should be physical. But every character ever should have three affectations. And when you start looking at anything about your character as an affectation, race, skin color, gender, uh, type of hat you wear, how mm. many fingers you have on your left hand, all of those things, all of a sudden losing a finger now makes your character interesting because now you have another affectation that you didn't have when your character started. Yep. Yep. So it's it's – Growth shouldn't always be positive. Growth should be a spectrum of things. Change is good for characters. They should have a starting point, but they should also have an end point. And the player and the GM should have some sort of say, some sort of vested interest, not even say, vested interest in where that growth takes them. And if you're the kind of player that shows up and just so well, I don't know, I'm just going to let the game master write my story for me, then you really can't be upset when your character loses a hand. Yeah. And Vice versa. If your players are already writing tons and tons of stuff, you shouldn't really get upset as a GM if they want to start chopping off their limbs. Mm. And you know, something that you just said in there gives me an idea for something else that, that good GMs have to do. And is that to take into account how the characters affect and affect the world. Right, you know, right. Don't just let them be parts of the story. Let them be part of the world. So, um, I don't know, something that I did once uh, with, with my Hobbit, we cleared a keep of goblins, and I thought, I'm going to keep the keep, because now it's empty. We need a lair, we need a place to be, and, and this is here now, so why don't we keep it? And the GM right. said, said to me, right. yeah, okay, that sounds, sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. So we now had a, a whole base of operation where I, I turned that thing into a school of fighting. You know, nice. you know nice. I, I was so so I thought it was so cool that I could actually contribute to the world in ways that the adventure had not prepared. Right. right. And I, I think books that have tried to address this always try to address it from a, a numbers perspective, a rules perspective, rather than really good advice perspective. What you did there, I don't really need numbers to do that well as no. a game master. I, all I need to do is, is embellish it enough that it inspires your imagination. It's your school. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and it doesn't really affect the adventure plot. You know, right. it, it doesn't it doesn't change it. Yeah, it made it a little bit easier for us because suddenly we had a place to come back to that we didn't have to pay for. You know, sure. we, we didn't have to think sure. about where we we're gonna get the gold coins to get a meal or or to get a room. We just we, we had right. our home. But then people have homes in RPGs, so, <laughs> so that made right. perfect sense. And that 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 worked out really, really well. Or well, he allowed us to change the name of a town. Unless you're playing gutter fantasy anyway, why are you charging players for food and and places to sleep what is it oh, uh, what value does that add to a water deep campaign that the players have to come up with their five gold a day uh, to survive i have no idea i, I I've, I've never truly understood that um yeah. you know it's it's kind of silly. and i'm a huge fan of gut, gutter fantasy don't get me wrong i mean a lot of what i write is gutter fantasy but if the majority of people out there are playing high fantasy and so the players have as much gold as they need to get by yeah that's just you know, they're already wearing silver armor. Why the fuck do they have to get their coin purse out and count out how many silver pieces they're spending right now? Yeah. That's just that's a that's a bad habit. That's a the next piece of advice, stop, give up some of these bad habits. Don't hold on to all these things you've been doing. If you've been doing this jamming the same way for ten years, start giving up some of these bad habits. And try to think of new ways that you can challenge the players instead of just, oh, time to get your armor fixed again. Just so you can get four hundred gold pieces out of them, it's just silly. And, and you know, another piece of advice I would give GMs: play another game from time to time. Yes. Don't, don't concentrate yes, on just one game because the way too many people out there they specialize in just you know D and D or Pathfinder or whatever, and they just do one game and one game alone. Play something else and play a different rule set, for goodness sake. Not just a different game, but a different rule set. Something that you've never played before. You'll, you'll yeah. see the change is amazing. Like Protocol. They should sit down and play Protocol yes. every once in a while just as a break. I think that would be awesome. And everybody out there should go out and buy 10 of them. Yes. And, you know, since we've, we've done this for a while now, why don't we do the second topic of the day? What to buy for Christmas for the GM? What to or the buy for Christmas? Yes, I, I have to. I have to tell the story since we're doing this. I have to tell the story. There's a guy on RPG Net, which I've talked shit about before. So the only reason I know this exists is because a friend of mine sends me the links. There, his name is Antonio S, and he only reviews stuff on RPG Net. He doesn't review games. Oh yes, he reviews dice and game screens and cards and medallions and coins and all the stuff and he has dozens and dozens and dozens of reviews on there and he'll actually sit down and review the custom version of something that he's already reviewed so the only thing different is the appearance the materials are still the same everything about it and these are deep deep reviews that he writes for this stuff and i find it fascinating that he does this i think it's a little um obsessive but it, it cracks me up so i'm not making fun of him i'm merely stating that this is a strange thing that he does so if you want to go and read some of his our reviews on rpg net he can tell you what you need to buy for somebody for the holidays okay but we don't care what he has to say we care what we have to say this is our <laughs> podcast well all right so what, what do you thanks for ruining all of that you can just cut it out <laughs> Just cut out everything I just. Well, no, because I, I'm I'm curious to see what kind of reviews he does and and what he right. has to say. But I, I you know I'm I'm more interested in finding out you know what what we would buy to to another player uh, or another another gamer in general. So okay, gave the, for the gamer who has it all, what do we get them this Christmas? 
I love game screens and I love dice towers, believe it or not. Okay. Uh, I love cards with NPCs on them. I love, well, I love my tool cards, obviously. Um, I love anything that helps the game master do things faster behind the screen so that they're focused on the game. And I'm not a fan of laptops at the table, by the way. I don't like them. I like playing from paper. Okay, me, yeah, me, me too. That's that's fair enough indeed. I would buy my friends who have it all. I would buy them a washing bowl. A washing bowl? Yeah. One of these plastic, big plastic bowls where you wash clothes inside or just keep them there or whatever. How is that game related? What am I missing here? So they can puke when their characters do something stupid. I don't... You've so lost me now. How? Yeah, is that, <laughs> I, you know I'm, I actually have my head in my hands right now at my desk. <laughs> no, ignore that. Ignore, okay. Um, I, I, to be perfectly honest, I think the one thing that you can buy anyone who is always safe to buy is dice. Yeah. Dice. You can never have enough dice. Uh, there's always a, a different die of a different color or that looks different enough that people will want to have. Okay, I, I I will add a caveat. I can't stand custom dice okay. that have one of the faces with a different number on it for the sole reason that some companies put it on the one and some companies put it on the six. And when you do custom dice like that, you, you pretty much make them useless to players because they have to stop and look after they've rolled to see if they got a one or a six. Those so, are good for collection, but not for gaming. I agree because yeah, I have they're a few good for of those. gaming. Yeah, I have a few of those, and they can be quite annoying because the the things that they don't follow any rules. I think sometimes people put the um, the funny face in the six, and sometimes they put the funny face in the one. So right. you, when you have two funny faces, you never know which ones. If it's a six or a one, it's annoying. It's very That's exactly what I just said. Yeah, I'm agree. Just verbatim. I mean, you're just copying me now. I'm agree. Yeah, I'm following your lead. That's but that, hey. I'm not comfortable with that. Get your own material. Okay, I will get my own material. Um, something else um, that you could get a gamer who has everything. Oh, a roll-up. Oh, roll-up mat. Yeah. Yeah, and some nice vis-a-vis pens, the 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 the, the overhead projector pens, because those wipe off easier. Yes. Um. That's, I like those. Yeah, those. I really like those uh, universal game screens, the the ones that are, are vinyl, and then you slide printed out sheets of paper into them. Yeah, they're very popular here. Very I popular. really like those. I think I think more companies should make PDFs for those kinds of things. For the you know the one night adventure PDF that slides into the screen and the GM has everything right there on one page of the screen. Yes, I think that would be great. And I cannot think of. But people need to make those in order for you to get ready for, for uh, Christmas. But still, I don't know what else to think or to give somebody. Uh, Coasters, coasters are nice for drinks at the game table. Okay. You know what I like instead of ice is those uh, those stones, those whiskey stones, and you can use them for any kind of drink you want to. But you put them in the freezer, Mm -hmm. and then they get really really cold, and then you put them in your drink, and then they slowly get warm, but they don't melt. And so you get less condensation on your drink when you're sitting at the table Ooh, gaming. I like the sound of that because you don't wa- you're not watering down the drink either. You're not watering down the drink either, depending on what it is that you're drinking. Ooh, I like but, that. Yeah, I really like those. Those they're called whiskey stones, I believe. But 
you freeze them and you put them in your ink. Okay. Yeah, I can I can go with that. That's good. You know what else you can buy to your GM or yourself or whoever? Some uh, music, ambient music for your games. Yes, that's an excellent point. I love ambient music. I, I have a ton. I haven't game mastered in years, but I have a ton of ambient music. We have it. We I, I don't think my 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 team and I play without music anymore. We we have to have some sort of music going on in the, the background. You know anything? Soundtracks are are fantastic. Um, you know a subscription yeah. to Cinemix is brilliant. Well, not soundtracks, scores. That's the hard part, right? Because sometimes you'll pick up the soundtrack and then it's twenty songs by twenty different artists, and it has it's not good ambient music. But the scores behind movies are the way to go. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if that's different in Europe than it is here, but it's important distinction here. If you go and you buy the soundtrack to a movie, you're not going to get what you're looking for. No, here, here, if you buy the soundtrack to the movie, you get the soundtrack from the movie. You know, from, okay. from nice. I'm not going to say from beginning to end, because if the movie is right. very long, then they will give you some excerpts. But usually you will get the music from the movie. And, and that's what I like. But, uh, you know, you know the, um, the radio station Cinemix? No, it's an online radio station that they only play soundtracks. Oh, okay. Uh, more often than not, it it is just uh, instrumental soundtracks. I don't know how the hell they do it, but every single time we've used it, and we've used it an awful lot of times, is perfect. It really yeah. sets the atmosphere so so nicely. Absolutely love it. So recommend it. It is commercial, so you get a little bit of advertising, not much. But a little bit of advertising, but you can subscribe to get rid of it, and it's not a, it's not an expensive subscription at all. So one one worth considering. Awesome. So with that, we may may or may not have another episode before Crimbo, but just in case, uh, happy Crimbo humans or happy whatever. Am I supposed to say something here? Something like goodbye. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>